Welcome back to the show, Grounded with the Front Range Fellas. This is a bonus section from our three-part conversation with my good friends Sam and Tim. Here I am reading an excerpt from a true story with the Denver Broncos, John Elway, and the NFL in the 1980s and 90s, uh, as told by my Uncle Tom and my dad, Bill, from their time with the Denver Broncos. Please enjoy the stories and have a great evening. Thank you for listening to the Harps Collective. Talk to you soon. What's that book you got over there? Oh, this is a new book here by my uncle Tom, Tom Harpole. He uh, wrote a book. Um, he's a fascinating guy. He was a writer for 20, 30 years for Sports Illustrated, Smithsonian, Air and Space. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of fascinating magazines. He's got a hell of a mustache. Hell of a mustache. He's a hell of a guy. He, uh, you know, he lived in, he's been all around the world. He lived in uh, Alaska, Montana. He went to Russia for a while, Ireland, yeah. lived in Ireland adventure man done a lot of dangerous stunts and wrote stories about you know fascinating people that are in crazy industries like logging oh and, wow you know some life or death type skydivers army people yeah you know just intense human beings so he's a fascinating guy chronicles of a fraught life but you mind if i share a story by by him let's about, hear it i'd love okay, to hear cool it. it's about my dad as well in this oh, story man. right so this is written from the perspective of my uncle but it is uh it does have my dad in it which is exciting so it takes place in Denver. The, the story is entitled 90 PSI, previously published in Sports Illustrated, September 8, 1985. Author's note, this is the essay Sports Illustrated fact-checked and published, which led to my decision to write for a living. All right, here we go. I own a Denver Broncos trophy buckle and bragging rights to a record that has stood since 1983 and at the time of this writing remains an NFL record. The inscription on that silver buckle reads 90 PSI and is sterling evidence of what is probably the most arcane record hanging around the periphery of the game, catching a football plummeting at about 140 miles an hour to the ground. It's time the story is told. As a logger, or more specifically a timber faller, I used to spend most of the year with my hands curled around a 36-pound chainsaw with a 32-inch bar on it. I'd been packing such saws on those steep snow-blanketed Montana Rockies through three months of early winter when I decided to hang up the hard hat and head to Denver with my wife and kids for a Christmas holiday. Most of my eight brothers and sisters would be there, including my brother Bill, who worked as the equipment manager for the Broncos in those days. As we drove south through Wyoming, we listened to the 1983 AFC wildcard game in Seattle. It dampened that Christmas Eve ride to hear Denver going down 31-7. to <laughs> <laughs> The next afternoon, when we got to Grandma's, Bill was already back from Seattle, sitting in the living room, looking ambivalent about the sudden end of the season. But he was his old same taciturn self, shrugging off defeat and just enjoying all the wee cousins, watching them play with their new toys and games. Christmas night after supper, the conversation around the table got Bill cornered with the rest of us trying to coax bits of Bronco locker room gossip. It's hard to think of his dealings with those athletes as humdrum, but he rarely had much to say about his, what, his, what his days were like. However, that night he began describing a football cannon that the Broncos were using for punt and kickoff return practice. The machine used compressed air to shoot footballs. 10 pounds per square inch PSI would launch that ball 60 to 70 yards in a fair imitation of a good kick. 
But boys will be boys, and somebody got the idea to let the compressor run up to the 90 PSI red line and point the barrel straight up to see what would happen. Bill said the ball nearly disappeared before it came back down. Then somebody decided to try to catch the ball when it came screaming back to earth. Funniest thing I've ever seen at work, he said. Guys that made millions of dollars catching footballs were unable to handle this leather meteorite. <laughs> It'd hit them in the hands and just blow their arms apart, Bill laughed. When Rich Carlos, the plucky barefoot kicker, tried to catch one, it hit him on the helmet, knocked him down, bounced, and landed on the roof of a warehouse across the street. <laughs> Bill said the ball had to be doing at least 300 miles an hour. <laughs> Baloney, Bill, I said. I told him that every falling object has a terminal velocity when the weight of the falling object equals the air pressure against it, and that by quick mental calculation, I reckoned the velocity for a football was less than 160 miles an hour. Then, before I had to start backing up my theory with more dubious math, I said, I could catch it. The derision in his chortle was as lumpy as the turkey gravy. I could catch it, Bill. I repeated and threw in some amateur psychology again, hoping to move away from improvising math. Those big prima donnas are psyching themselves out just because they've never seen a football coming at them that fast. Even with Elway throwing it at them, I said, I, I said, when's that kid going to learn a little touch? I added imploringly, anyways, I have the advantage of not knowing the difference. I could do it if I got five chances to catch the ball. Tom... I'd bet you any amount of money. It can't be done. You can't do it. 50 bucks, no, 500 bucks. He was a little steamed by my na naivete and perhaps at the suggestion that his guys weren't quite invincible. I won't take your money, I replied, but I'd sure like to have a go. Five tries, you're on. Come out tomorrow morning at 10. Bill has a way of looking at you that he's cultivated in locker rooms full of enormous men who must be browbeaten once in a while. I tried not to wither like a chastised linebacker and wondered if maybe the terminal velocity of a football might very well be 300 miles per hour. The next day, the temperature hung at about zero, and there were a few <laughs> inches of new snow. Nice weather to work in if you're logging, but this was level ground. Bill set the cannon up on the edge of the practice field nearest the clubhouse. <laughs> he got that compressor going at the edge of the pure flat snow blanketed expanse there were a few players in parkas guys cleaning out lockers who were walking between the parking lot and the locker room a few guys said they were waiting for some latecomers to go duck hunting they hung around watching bill set the football cannon up and said let's see where they tend to come down he suggested when he shot the first ball up and I watched it disappear into the Denver smog, it set me back some. Its whistling descent hit the snow and blew out a three-foot diameter bare <laughs> spot as though a cherry bomb had been set off and bounced 30 yards back toward us. It had burst, the football had burst a seam, leaving what resembled a Labrador scrotum herniating through the split in the seam. <laughs> uh, but it was the altitude of the ball that had reach that left me bemused i've cut thousands of trees down after walking around them looking up to see which way they lean then they hit the ground and after i'm done limbing them up and measuring and bucking the saw logs i know within a few feet how tall they were as a sideline i i climb 300 foot radio 
towers to replace burnt-out beacons on top. I can judge heights pretty well, especially heights that have some correlation to human activity. But that ball disappearing into the dirty air and ripping back down toward the ground was unlike anything I could relate to. It was like seeing something dropped from an airplane, and I, I guessed it fell seven to 800 feet. Bill shot a couple more footballs up so I could get into the general area where they were rocketing down. I could see them shifting through different wind strata as they returned to Earth. <laughs> then one came near enough for me to try and catch it, and it hurt my left thumb. But I could see how a few more tries would teach me enough to get the job done. It was like the first time I rode a bull at the Jackpot Rodeo in Helmville, Montana. Crazy, but exciting and fun, and I wanted to keep trying until I got it right. The second ball I tried to catch tore the fingernail off my left index finger and bent the whole works up. Bill saw the blood coming out and shut off the compressor, which hissed as it bled off its holding tank. This is crazy. We're done, he said. It looks worse than it is. Deal's a deal, Bill. I get three more tries. <laughs> I was pretty jacked up. There was an audience of guys who tried and failed to do this, and the implicit challenge was all I could think about. Also, I have read some books about centered skiing and inner golf and tennis, and I believe in that stuff. While the compressor pumped itself back up, so did I. What you do is imagine a root growing right down through yourself into the ground, and you pull energy into wherever you want it, and you start feeling much stronger. I locked my hands together and tucked my elbows against my ribs and concentrated on all the strength that I'd accumulated in those years of logging chainsaws around the steeps. When that next ball came down, I was moving my feet better to keep it under to keep under it as it tumbled down out of the smog and became more vivid and grew in size. It lodged in the cradle of my arms and, and chest formed. It felt like an 80-pound bale of hay dropped from the hayloft when it hit me and blasted the air out of me. <laughs> but I held on to it. It knocked me over backwards and my hat landed several feet away. No one doubted that it was a clean catch. The lumpen crowd of jocks and downcoats hooted, their applause muted by gloved hands. <laughs> In this life, I spend mostly working around trees. I have never elicited applause. I felt very happy. Every once in a while, you have to be your own hero. Whether it's being the best snow shoveler on the block or knowing you're raising your kids as polite as can be, or just having a sense of yourself as still being playful and a little crazy. I explained that to Bill and thanked him for setting the deal up. I reached in my pocket for my gloves and found that I couldn't even grasp them with my left hand. Steve Antonopoulos, the prematurely bald wizard trainer for the Broncos, looked at my hand and murmured something and had me stick my hand in ice water for 15 minutes. Cryotherapy, he called it. There's a loaded word for you. He manipulated my fingers slightly and said I'd better get the heck to a doctor. Besides tearing my fingernail off, he told me, he was pretty sure I had broken bones in my left thumb and index finger. <laughs> Bill was sorry and a little angry that what had started out to be fun had turned painful. But we talked about all the times we'd seen athletes play with injuries only to realize they were hurt much later. The human body can take a lot while the mind is engaged energetically. About a month later, Bill was at a meeting in Cleveland for all the equipment managers in the NFL. It was a huge trade show where he goes to buy everything the team needs for the next season. The average NFL team, for instance, consumes a semi-trailer load of adhesive tape every year. At the closing banquet, each equipment manager was called upon to give an impromptu address, sing a song, tell a joke, whatever. 
Bill asked the assembled team representatives how many had the football cannon. Everyone raised their hand. They all had one. He asked it, well, have you ever pointed it straight up at 90 PSI? They admitted they all had. (laughs) He asked if anyone had ever caught the ball. No one had, nor did anyone offer an opinion that it was even possible. And in fact, every team's coaches had banned such idiocy. (laughs) So Bill told him that his brother, this logger from Montana, had made the catch. He realized then that my catch in its own obscure fashion was an NFL record. Whenever a Bronco establishes a new NFL record, they receive a trophy buckle. He wrote on the back of his business card that he'd stuck in the heavy little box the buckle came in. That was about the time I got the cast off. (laughs) (laughs) I interpreted this terrific gift and the trenchant message as brotherly love, which sweetened the whole thing. I lost a couple months' work while that cast was on. (laughs) That silver buckle cost me about $4,000 in lost wages. But I sure like to tell this story. And that is the story 90 PSI. That's fantastic. By my uncle. Amazing. What a good story, huh? Yeah. The NFL in the 1980s. Did you know about that? No, no. I, my dad had never told me about it, but really? I stumbled upon the article when I was young, maybe like 15 on Google. And I was like, Tom Harple, that's my uncle. Yeah. And then I read the article and I was like, this is a damn good story. Yeah. You know? And then, And then 10 years later, probably he released this anthology of about 20 short stories like that oh. from his life. So just coming down like a mortar. Yeah. Like a, a piece of cement. You think that kind of shenanigans <laughs> still goes on? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's a lot, I'm going to start doing audio um, podcasts with my dad Yeah, where it'll just be an NFL story each time. Cause he's oh, got yeah. 40, 50, 60 good ones. Yeah. There are shenanigans, but I don't think they're as common now. There were a lot of pranks played on you know players and such yeah that was a huge part of training camp in the nfl used to be far more you know three four five weeks yeah where the players would really vacate and go to a university was far more like you know like true summer camp right where they were isolated and a lot of pranks remember the titans yeah yeah yeah, that kind of stuff even in the nfl and and yeah there were a lot of pranks played and then like there was one where john elway and my dad were roughly the same age and started around the broncos the same time my dad was uh, equipment manager and John Elway was, or equipment assistant. And John Elway was, you know, new, big hype rookie, right. right? Celebrity, Brad Pitt kind of of the NFL. And he called my dad late at one night in training camp and said, Bill, I, I need you to go. I really need you to go talk to this, this Nike rep that's here. I'm so sorry. I got to be in this meeting to watch film and I really need you to go across campus and just take my, take my scooter. It's down, down on the, <laughs> down on the ground. It's tied to the bike rack. So my dad goes down and he's oh, just, he was in bed, gets dressed and goes downstairs, takes the elevator down and he's, you know, getting on the scooter, trying to turn it on, trying to figure out how to get it on. And he's, he just finally gets it on and he's about to pull out and go find this guy at a different building. And he hears this kind of sound from, from nowhere and is kind of looking around. And then all of a sudden about, Eight, probably 300 gallons of water just land on him and almost <laughs> knock him to the ground. <laughs> and he he hears this hooting and hollering and laughing. Yep. And he looks up and 10 stories up, four people have dumped buckets, like trash can size oh amounts God. of water down onto the scooter. John just Elway? Just my dad. Yeah, John Elway and three linemen. That's fantastic. Up. And they were doing it with wow. everyone that they could call and get to come down to his scooter. <laughs> He was, was it, calling every staff member. Was it red rookies. all the way around the scooter? Or? 
I, I yeah, it was, but he didn't. He thought it was rain. <laughs> really coming down out here doing it over and over and over again yeah and he went back in and somebody like shannon sharp was walking out and they were like i don't know who no it wasn't been shannon sharp it was somebody from that time and they were going to get on the scooter yeah and my dad was like keys in the ignition (laughs) (laughs) just got back from the pool you know i mean it was just that kind of stuff you know like just great great stories that's cool yeah it'd like be that. great to have on here yeah yeah i'm definitely gonna get a get he's got on. some amazing stories yeah and i want to get him and jim sacamano on who is the he's the public relations uh, manager for 40 years really broncos good you should get greek on there yeah it'd be cool too to have yeah. steve those three really were you know my dad was 25 years at the broncos greek obviously 40 ish jim sacamano 40 to 50 i mean legends right yeah <laughs> have every nfl story and there are some damn good stories too so maybe when my dad's doing a story, we'll we'll be on. I remember maybe. in high school sitting in your your living room, and you're we were watching a you know random Sunday night game. Saints, yeah. Saints were playing, and and Jimmy Graham was was a rookie there, and you know Bill sitting on that that spot on the sofa where all yeah, his wizardry sure. comes from. Yeah, says you know what I got an idea. Throws on the glasses, pulls out his phone. I was like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm texting Sean Payton right now, telling him <laughs> to put that guy on field goal block." <laughs> the next week, Jimmy Graham's out there on field no goal way. block. Really? Yep. yep. Wow, that is yep. awesome, man. Yep. That's, no, that's yeah. Cool. That's like we're watching we're watching TV, and Adam Schefter comes on ESPN. Yeah. And Adam looks disheveled. Looks like he's must been awake been for <laughs> six years. This was must have been like a yeah. busy time. I mean, he looks terrible. His shirt is wrinkled, no tie. His hair. Sitting in front of that same bookcase. He yeah. always sits in Yeah, front. yeah. He just looks like he hasn't left that place in three days. Yeah. Looks like he hasn't showered. He hasn't. No, and he normally doesn't. He's on the phone. Yeah, so my dad is, we're sitting there watching, and I'm like, boy, Adam Schefter looks terrible. And my dad's like, yeah, I'm gonna text him and let him know. <laughs> so he texts him and says, he texts him and says he texts him and says you should go home and get some rest. Or no, yeah. he says what happened? Did you forget your tie? Yeah. And Adam Schefter says, yeah, my boss asked me the same question right before I went <laughs> on the air. So did my wife. Everybody's texting me about how I look. So it's like you know the people that have been around in the NFL when you start to count decades. Yeah. As far as your time at Super Bowls, and you, you all know each other. Yeah, it's like you the all, mob. It's like the mob. Like what everybody he knows. Up, every- Terrell Suggs, Suggs missed the team bus, so your dad had to drive him to the game <laughs> yeah. and squeeze him in his like little Hyundai. <laughs> Bill said that thing was dragging on the, on the asphalt. Yeah, we, I, I rode with Jerome Bettis once <laughs> in the Santa Fe. The guy, the guy's head was grazing. Just the cuts rope. a check for a new suspension system and walks into the locker room. Here. <laughs> Sorry about your car, Mr. Hopple. Yeah, we had a great time with. Yeah, I mean, just great players. That's cool, and no one gets to hear those stories. No, no. So I'm going to bring them alive. Yeah, in audio form. Think he'll do it. He'll be. Yeah, he was into it. He was interested. I think he's he's a storyteller naturally. So I think we just maybe it'll be me, him, and a couple other people. But we just got to get him in a in a storytelling mood. Oh, what's your name for it? I don't know Uh, for the segment. Well, yeah. Well, okay. So he's he's. I'm thinking about putting it into book form after the stories come out. So capturing them first via audio and then putting them into book form and just, you know, having a ghostwriter help assemble that because they're really great stories. And I think that, it you know, it'd be kind of like this, a bunch of short stories. So the book title we were discussing and he was like, I got it. I got a good name. 
He's been, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Of course. Time. Yeah. And he just schemes on that. It's couch, on a sticky you know? note. A <laughs> yep. Yeah. So he, he's like, all right. So one time John Elway came off the bench, just had a terrible drive, right? John Elway just got laid out by some defensive lineman, just destroyed, <laughs> sacked, right? Yeah. Like fumbled the ball, like some embarrassing, just uh, offense needs to regroup right now type situation, right? So John Elway comes off the field. And Simon Fletcher was a very notable Bronco player mm-hmm. in the uh, 80s and early 90s, I believe. And uh, just a funny character, right? I mean, you know, well-known, funny guy. And uh, so he's sitting on the bench and this, the O-line coach, who's got to be like 300 pounds, come over and just reams out Simon Fletcher, just, just tears into him, right? Starts yelling at him for everything for yeah. like three minutes. It's all his fault. He missed the block. That's why... John Elway got destroyed. John Elway's like holding his shoulder, you know, just like in so much pain on the sideline. Yeah. And Simon Fletcher, after the after the coach walks away, just my dad's overhearing this. Simon Fletcher, and this is the title for the book, looks over at John Elway and says, well, damn, what you would have did. <laughs> what you would have did. And so my dad was like that. That is going to be the title for my book. I like book, that. What you would have did. I like. And John that. Elway was like, I- "I'm sorry, what you would have did." <laughs> and so the title is going to be "What You Would Have Did." Forty years of stories from the NFL. Yeah, because there's that'll I mean, be awesome. There's yeah. been countless dozens, probably hundreds of player, coach, GM memoirs. Yes, ne- right. Probably never an equipment manager. No, and I mean he was equipment. He was video manager for years yeah. he was marketing manager and director of operations another man named bill worked in the videography room with him oh really oh i didn't know well that. the the bill from the nfl belichick yeah. oh oh that's right yeah 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 my because that was his first job was was in a film yeah. intern with the broncos yeah actually uh, my dad replaced uh, bill belichick essentially hired my dad to replace his role yeah belichick wanted to be a he was a video guy with the broncos yeah so he hired my dad out of college, and then Belichick went went on to do he wanted to do gra- like a GA coaching work yeah. analysis rather than just film. That's cool. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, they know. But each he other just well. used it as work. Every time I talk to your dad about it, he doesn't. Does talk he have about Belichick's it. Oh, number? Yeah, yeah uh, he doesn't have his number, but he he knows Bill well. I mean, usually he says when they run into each other, they say Bill, Bill, <laughs> keep walking. <laughs> That's about all anyone gets out of it. <laughs> no, yeah. Have you seen, uh, there's like a video of Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, right? Who were, they were together way back in their past. Oh, yeah. Right. And there's this video, this like in the scenes video through NFL films or something where they are going to sit down with each other and catch up. Yeah. Right? And they're going to get it on film. So they're rolling. They're about to do this segment, right? Where they're sitting down talking to each other. So Bill Belichick or Nick Saban, one of them asks for a moment. They're like, hey, before we start recording, can we just have a moment off camera where we just catch up a little bit you know it's been it's been a long time 10 20 years so they walk into the same room and the camera's still rolling it's just not proper footage for right. the, the segment right but there's still audio on they got their mics on, right? <laughs> they're just across the room and the two walk in to each other and uh, they're like hey bill hey nick how you doing man it's been a while yeah yeah so so yeah, are you still running that four three offense with that back <laughs> <medical> Just zero, down to nothing, nothing about personal life. Yeah. That's excellent. Straight into the conversation, right? That's phenomenal. I thought that was a funny thing. And so that's what my dad said. Bill Belichick was always like that, even in his 20s, just uh, pure business, 
cut and dry. Wanted to, wanted to, wanted to, uh, you know, contribute yeah. on the football side. Wanted to get, you know, wanted to be the best as yeah. far as uh, his understanding of the game. Yeah, well, he's just done a freak. That. Yeah. yeah, I think we're coming up on that time where we're going to now watch football without all those guys we've grown up with. Yeah, it's, it's not interesting, far right? Off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole everything's changing. Everything's right? changed. The big guy, the big names are going to be gone, and it'll be a, a whole new deal. Yeah. But there's a lot of good nostalgia that comes from there is you know that time. So we'll yeah. we'll have him on the podcast. I like that. You're gonna have Belichick on. That'll be a yeah. Good we'll one. work on getting Bill Belichick yeah, too. We can yeah. talk more about yeah. growing up in the NFL and what that was like and such. But okay, you know, there's some good stories, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Looking forward to it.